You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Thanks, Brady. Church family, good to see you here this week. Hope you're doing well. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, I'd love for you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 4 this week. Um, We are going to do something a little bit different for the next two weeks, taking a little little break, little mini-series right here, Um, and I felt burdened for a while just to uh, do a little two-parter here on uh, issues around the sanctity of human life, and here's what I mean by that. Uh, Coming out of our Genesis uh, series that we began last year, we'll pick back up here later, but um, it was very clear as you open the opening chapters of Genesis that from the creation forward, every single human being that has been made by God on the planet of this earth is made in the image of God with the full dignity that he has created. Psalm 139, from the womb forward, we, have, we are filled and wrought with the, the dignity of God and the, the imago Dei, the image of his uh, in creating us in. And then Proverbs 24 even beckons us as the people of God to speak up for that dignity, to not only image that dignity, but to speak up for that dignity uh, concerning those who can't always speak for themselves. And so whether it's the poor and the powerless that are among us, the outcasts that are among us, whether it's the oppressed minority that is among us, whether it is the persecuted refugee, whether it is those with disabilities and special needs, whether it's the unborn in the womb, whatever it may be, At Northway Church, this is the theology that we hold to, and it is the proclamation that we will continue to stand in the gap for, uh, of dignifying the image of God in every human being. There is not one human being that is more superior to another. All are equal in the image and worth that God has created us in. And that being said, I want to speak this week um, to a unique arena of the uh, the dignity, the image of God, one, that, um, the, one that's a message that I actually preached on when I, shortly after I first came here to Northway about four years ago, uh, specifically revolving around the issue of the orphan and of those in uh, foster care. And, uh, and whether you're aware of it or not, this is a paramount crisis in our culture right now. Uh, globally, it's estimated there are any given day about 18 million orphans, but that's the true definition of both parents removed, no family. When you consider even single parents who are teetering on the edge of losing care and custody, um, those who are maybe with a relative that's not sure they can even take care of them right now, those numbers rise globally to about 163 million orphans on the planet right now. When you think about The United States, you think about our foster care system, there's about 437,000 children in the U.S. foster care system right now. Uh, In 2019, right before the pandemic started, there was actually flagged 672,000 children that were in the U.S. foster care system heading into the pandemic. Out of those, about 70 to 100,000 of them are currently waiting for adoption. The rest are always, they're seeking reunification, but there's about 100,000 right now that are waiting for a family to take them. The average time that a child spends in foster care in the United States is between two and five years. 
that they are in the foster care system. And even in 2019, 20,000 of them aged out, hit 18 um, without being adopted. When you think about locally, uh, here in our state, in Texas, we have about 32,000 children that are in the foster care system. Here in Dallas County, on any given day, we have about 3,000 that are in the foster care system in Dallas right now. And uh, that's a lot of numbers I threw out at you, but I'm always reminded when I do so that every number is a name. Every number is a soul made in the image of God, bearing the dignity and the worth that God has created them with. And so as you can see, the condition around us is significant, and the children seeking to find a family, seeking to find hope is dire. And the crazy thing is when, when we talk about the idea of care and rescue for orphans, and it is, the scriptures talk about it quite a bit, but when we talk about this issue, um, it's not just abstract theory we're talking about. A lot of people in a lot of spaces, politics, uh, great uh, nonprofit organizations, secular nonprofit organizations, they're all talking about this issue. But when we talk about it in this room, right here tonight, this is not just an abstract theory for us. The idea of adoption is not just another man-centered humanitarian cause that we're pursuing. The idea of adoption, the idea of orphan rescue is at the very center of our theology of who we are. Our whole Christian worldview hinges on the very reality of what our God and Father has done in coming to rescue us. When you think about it, the definition of an orphan is one who has been stripped away from their parents or their family as either the result of death of a parent or as the result of sin in the parent or family. Spiritually speaking, though, it's what's happened to us. The Bible would tell us that prior to the fall of mankind in Genesis chapter three, every one of us were created as children of God, made to experience the fullness of the relationship with our heavenly father. And Genesis shows us that while that relationship came with numerous blessings, as we examine in our Genesis study, there are three in particular that are significant for this message here today. And that is we were created originally with identity, with access, and with inheritance. And those three are significant. Identity, every one of us were made in the image of God. Every one of us were given the dignity and worth that God has given us at birth, at creation. And we were made sons and daughters of God from creation forward. When it came to access, every one of us in the creation account had intimate accessibility to the heavenly father. Uh, A deep relationship and trust that was in that accessibility. And then with that came a secured inheritance. All that was God's was ours, given to us freely to enjoy and to make much of him in it and that security that came with it. And yet, Genesis 3 tells us that in one unspeakable moment of distrust and rebellion, all three of those were stripped away from us forever. In an instant, the whole world became, as it were, a spiritual orphanage. In fact, All of planet Earth is the largest orphanage that has ever existed when we think about it in spiritual terms. In fact, we see that in Scripture that sin had alienated us from the Father, removed us from the access of his presence. 
death, the spiritual death that we incurred, ended the family that we once enjoyed and transferred us to another family. One that Ephesians 2 describes as being ruled by the prince of the power of the air, making us now sons, and I would add daughters of disobedience. And our identity and our DNA would then forever be linked with Satan primarily rather than God himself. And for the first time in human history, we were orphaned from God in Genesis 3 forward. And the inheritance that was so secure before that fall had now been canceled out because of our rebellion. And the Bible describes our condition in that spiritual orphanage. One is wretched, poor, unclothed, enslaved, and without hope. And yet, what is so beautiful about the good news of Jesus Christ, what is so beautiful about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and what is so central to our theological reality is that God didn't just sit by in that moment and simply feel sorry for us. and go, man, that's so sad. All these spiritual orphans, man, I really hope they can figure it out. I hope somebody else comes and rescues them. No, in that moment, God and his grace personally initiated towards us in a way that would not only bring rescue for us, but would also restore that very identity, access, and inheritance that we had lost in our rebellion. And I think you're gonna see that here in Galatians 4. And I want us just for a little moment here to feel the weight of the beauty of God's rescue towards us. Galatians chapter four, starting in verse four, listen to how Paul describes what God did when he initiated. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In other words, when the time was right, God decided to make the call to inconvenience himself, as Philippians 2 would describe it, by sending his own son, Jesus, into the stench of our orphanage in this broken world to come and rescue us from the power and the penalty of our sin so that he could purchase us back into his family. The term that the Bible, especially in the New Testament, most often uses for the rescue that we received is adoption. Biblically speaking, adoption is the legal act of setting down, of anchoring, of establishing one who was not formally of the family and who has now been made into the family. For me personally, I will never forget the sobering moment in 2015 when I sat in a courtroom about to adopt two of our daughters and that judge in that room, you could viscerally feel the weight of the moment with the judge as he recounted the history of these two girls and all that they had been through. And the judge asked all of us, are you prepared to take on the weight of responsibility of what this is going to cost you in this for what you're going to gain? There's such a sober moment there as we signed that paperwork and signed over our name to theirs. And the judge put down the gavel and, and, and proclaimed that that transfer of identity was complete. There is maybe no more profound moment for me. One, just in the humanity of that moment with our girls, but even in the spiritual consideration 
As I read texts like Galatians 4 and I think about the divine courtroom where our transaction took place and what God did to rescue us and to bring us new identity in him and and all these things that are granted back. And that's exactly what we see next. When we consider what God did for us by enacting the payment of, of his own son on the cross, satisfying the righteous demands of his own justice. And by receiving that payment through faith, God signs the paperwork over from Satan to himself to give legal custody of all of us for all eternity. And what immediately happens is those three things that we lost, they are now given back to us and made new. For instance, we now receive through Christ's adoption, we, we receive our new identity. You see this, look at, uh, back at Galatians again. In fact, look up a little bit at Galatians chapter three. At the very end of Galatians three and verse 26 and following speaks about our new identity. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as of you that were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There is now neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and no female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You see, one of the main problems in the Galatian churches, which was in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, in the first century, one of the main problems that they faced is that this church was now comprised of both Jewish and Gentile Christians. And there, were, there was much debate among the Jewish Christians as to whether the Gentiles could legitimately be considered as part of the family of God, that they could legitimately belong to God. And the reason is, is that many of the Jews had wrongly for the last 2,000 years primarily derived their identity from the flesh and not from faith. Meaning their identity was wrapped up in their genealogical lineage as well as their ceremonial works um, more than it was the faith of Abraham, their father, who believed upon the promise of God and it was credited as righteousness. Not of anything Abraham did, but all about what God did and was gonna do. That's where faith is inaugurated. But over time, one's merit before God got somehow translated into genealogical lineage of the birth line that I'm from and from my own works and my own deeds. And as such, many of the Jewish Christians weren't fond early on of these unclean, uncircumcised Gentiles claiming that they could have the same identity in God as they do simply because they had faith. And so Paul says, no, you need to understand the gospel. When you are adopted by the grace of God through faith in his provision in Jesus Christ, your identity is no longer attached to your past deeds or your past genealogy. Your identity is wrapped up in the present grace and mercy that God has saved you with. And based on that ground alone, that your faith is in Jesus Christ alone, through God's grace alone, received by uh, faith in him alone that you've put into him, then that levels the playing field and you're all family now. There's no such thing as Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. There's just Christian. You're all one. You have one 
equal identity that has been given. It's the same with my five daughters that I have. I have five daughters. When I introduce them to people, I don't go, oh, here's my three biological daughters. They're my real daughters. And then here's these other two in here that they're not, they're not really the real daughters. They've just been kind of grafted in. No. When I introduce my daughters, I go, these are my daughters. What is true of one is true of the other. We're not attaching identity to past genealogy, to some sort of meritous works. It is simply because of the adoption that has taken place. They are my daughters. We have equal identity. The same is true of us if our faith is in Jesus Christ. We've received new identity. But not only that, look down at chapter four, verse six. We also receive new access in our adoption. He says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Did you catch that? There's no question, probably from anyone in this room, that Jesus is the true legitimate son of God. Second member of the Trinity, legitimate son of God. We know that to be true. But now it says that his spirit now lives within us if we put our faith in him. So through adoption, we now get to cry out the same claim of relationship that Jesus gets to by calling him father. There's no junior varsity. There's no varsity access that's going on here. We have the same access to God the father that Jesus Christ has through our adoption. Likewise with my kids, the same access to their mom and dad we don't play favorites with, with one set of, of the biological versus adopted. They all have equal access. And the same is with us. That's why Paul says in this text, we get to cry out, Abba, Father. That's actually not the best trans. If they were to translate this perfectly in just all English, it would say this, we get to cry out, Father, Father. And then you would have to dig into the original language to figure out what's going on there is two different words are being used for father. One is Hebrew and one is Greek. This is Paul emphatically talking about the new identity that leads to new access is that the Jews get a cry out in their language, Abba, he's father. And the, the Gentiles get to cry out uh, Pateras, which is father in Greek. Both have equal access to the father. That's the beauty of this. When the dividing walls come down. And so we have new identity, we have new access, but notice also we receive new inheritance. You see this, in chapter three, verse 29, and chapter four, verse seven, you're gonna see the same word repeated twice. 329, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs, according to promise. Likewise, chapter four, verse seven, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then here it is again, you are an heir through God. An heir is one who receives the full promise of their father's estate. Slaves in the first century Roman Empire, even though they lived in households, they had no claim to that household. They had no claim to the head of that estate. It was not theirs. It was only for sons. And Paul emphatically says here, because of adoption in Jesus Christ, you are no longer slaves anymore. You're sons. You receive the full inheritance of the Father. What is true of Jesus is true of you, meaning you have security now. 
in both God's love and God's kingdom that can be enjoyed now and the full consummation that is promised that is still to come. It's already yours, guaranteed. So do you see what God has done for us? According to this passage, looking upon the carnage of the world's worst orphanage that has ever existed, planet Earth, one in which you and I were spiritually alienated, separated, and without hope, God, in his rich mercy and grace, came and rescued us through adoption so that we would be given a new identity, new access, and new inheritance. But y'all, here's the craziest thing for me as I contemplate this. When you look at the the, the physical humanity of orphans that are around us in our city and in our culture right now, the vast majority of them are victims. They did not choose to be in the situation they're in. But when you look at our spiritual orphanage that we were in prior to Christ, who we were before God rescued us, we weren't victims. We were the enemy. It wasn't God's sin that left us fatherless, fatherless, it was ours. It wasn't God's death that left us fatherless, it was our spiritual death. We were the ones who left him, he never left us, and yet despite all of that, he still loved us. He still came after us, he still chose us. He still inconvenienced himself for us. Think about the weight of that truth. It's why the apostle John never got over this. In 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. He adopted us. He he took us in. John never gets over that. And if he would do that for us as enemies, then the natural question that comes is how much more willing should we be? Those of us who have received that vertical grace, how much more willing should we be to go extend that grace horizontally to those amongst us who are destitute and without hope? You see, this is where I believe that a true understanding and experiencing of God's vertical grace has to spill over these four walls into the city of Dallas around us. You see, we too were once orphans. If there is anybody in the city of Dallas who knows what it's like to be an orphan that was pursued, it's this room right here. We are the ones who know what that's like. And so how beautiful is it in God's plan that he would choose to use rescued orphans like us to go reach orphans. It's a beautiful picture. And I think that's where the need comes in. You look at this demographic on the screen, you've probably seen images similar to this before, but the idea of how many Protestant evangelical churches there are in the United States right now against how many children right now are in the foster care system waiting for a home. Like there is enough grace right now at our disposal just within the church to go reach into these spaces and care for and minister to these children. And I'm reminded of a real story that happened in our accounts of church history. In the first century in Ephesus, which is modern day Turkey, there was a a famous gynecologist named Seranus who was anchored there in Ephesus, helped run a medical school. 
Serranus had a bunch of works that he published that were used in the medical field all the way through the Middle Ages, and some of those works are still, the foundations of which are still used in our medical professions today. But one of the most debated works that he wrote was a book that was entitled, How to Determine If Your Child is Worth Rearing. A gynecologist writing a book that essentially, if translated in today's language, would be, here's a book that'll help you determine whether your child is worth keeping. And in it were characteristics that he believed would make humanity worthy enough to keep it. And if these things weren't present, then you could discard your child. In the first century, long before abortions were made accessible, the way that you would discard a child is through exposure. You would carry that child to term, and then you would abandon that child in a field. Oftentimes, in the trash heaps that were behind or outside of the walls, especially in Ephesus there, and you would let that child be given to the elements for exposure. If you didn't do that, other times what was most notable in Ephesus is they would bring the child, the unwanted child, to, a, to the agora, which was the marketplace, and they would drop the child off there and hoping that the child would be picked up, and oftentimes it's picked up by slave traders who would come in into port and would find a child, and they would rear the child to put that child as a commodity. Until something happened, the end of the first century into the second and third century, historians started chronicling the fact that there were children in Ephesus who started to get picked up. They were removed from the trash heaps. They were picked up at the marketplace. And when they did the research to find out, it was this new group called Christians who were doing it. Why would this new population, this minority population of Christians, Christ followers in Ephesus, Turkey, all of a sudden, at the end of the first century, start picking up these children and taking them home and raising them. I find it interesting because just prior to that, a letter was written to the church at Ephesus by the apostle Paul who in the opening lines of the book says this in chapter one. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for Adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It's a beautiful picture of a church understanding the vertical grace that they have received that then correlated to it now extending horizontally to others who are in need, gospel in, gospel out. And I agree fully with Russell Moore, who talks about how our theology has to line up with our mission. And he says, where you have a theology of adoption, but it is not matched with a mission of adoption, then the best adoption will ever be for your church is a metaphor. 
But if you have a mission of adoption, yet it's not undergirded by a theology of adoption, then all adoption will ever be is a humanitarian aid. You need both. Adoption in our worldview and in our culture as a church is an expression of who we are and what has been done for us. And if we ignore or disassociate ourselves from the brokenness that is around us, we are denying the validity of our own rescue. And truthfully, adoption has to be more. And I say this with all sensitivity, adoption has got to be more than just a plan B for those who are wrestling with infertility, as much of a grace as adoption is in those spaces. The truth is, if all adoption is, and all fostering is, is just an option for those folks over there, then we as a church are probably evidencing that we have more of a Darwinian theology than we do a gospel theology. The truth is, is that God's love spills over for the orphan. Psalm 68, God is a father to the fatherless. He makes a home for the lonely. Psalm 146, he supports and he upholds the fatherless. Job 29, he delivers the orphan who has no helper. Deuteronomy chapter 10, he executes justice for the orphan. Those passages are not just metaphors for our spiritual adoption in Christ. They are literal ways in which God rescues the modern orphan. Now, how does he do that? Through us, through his church. Listen to these scriptures, Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. Psalm 82.3, vindicate the weak and the fatherless. Do justice for the afflicted and the destitute. Isaiah 1.17, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, and defend the orphan. James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, that we visit orphans and widows in their distress. And that word visit is the idea of caring for someone with the purpose of rescuing. It's used in the book of Hebrews in describing how God came and cared for us. It's this vertical grace that translates to this horizontal grace. And I have to tell you, for those of you that maybe checked out early on and went, this message ain't for me, somebody, for somebody else to hear, I was that person too. I was sitting where you are. All I thought about in my single years is I just wanted to get married. I just wanted to find a wife and I love for us to have a few children together and enjoy this beautiful life. That was what was on my radar. That's what I pursued. And I would hear messages and it would just go in and out. Didn't think about it. Found, God graced me with a beautiful wife, got married. We had three biological daughters, of course, right out of the gate that God was gracious to give us. And we still had no thought. But over time, the Lord began to tender us just a little bit. Spent more time in the scriptures thinking about my own, my own redemption, my own adoption. Thinking about the needs that are around us. Learning to not turn blind eyes to the injustices that are around us and the heartbreak that is around us. And then thinking, okay, well, one day, one day, and we just kept putting it off. And then one year, I've shared this story before, but my, one of my daughters came to us, we were living in Flower Mound at the time, came to us at, right before Christmas and said, mom, dad, I don't want any presents this year. All I want is some kids. She's like, your kids or my kids? Wait, wait, what are you talking about here? This is weird. What you, there's so many kids who need, 
homes. And we're like, oh my gosh, that is incredibly sweet. We'll tell people about how you're a sweetheart and that'll be a good story one day and moved on, didn't do anything with it. Fast forward the next year, we had moved from Flower Mound, moved out to California and again, about the same time, right before Thanksgiving, my daughter comes to us again in tears this time going, mom, dad, I'm serious. I don't want any presents. There are so many kids. We just heard a message similar to what I'm giving here that in Fresno County where we're living, that there were 2,000 kids in the foster care system and every one of those numbers has a name. And it melted her, it began to tender us and she pressed us and we decided to go away over Thanksgiving and just pray and ask the Lord who we want. We came out of that with an agreement that we were at least gonna educate ourselves. We were gonna go look up some fostering organizations and adoption organizations, just talk about what that means, what that looks like, what are the ways that we can serve. Doesn't mean we have to adopt, but maybe we can find out how we can help. And we just entered, ended up entering into this process and then we felt more and more compelled and, and we, we went further into it. Next thing, we're getting trained for this and we're learning about adoption. We're learning about fostering and, and the Lord just sears our hearts on this. And then we've got, even got our idea now of, of who maybe... Uh, that we would request in terms of adopting or fostering. And, and, uh, and then we were sent these two girls. After our home study was complete, sent us two girls that were older than we were thinking. And these two girls came from a lot of trauma. They have the same mom, different dads. They were found homeless on the street when they were taken into uh, child protective service custody. And uh, sadly, most of their trauma actually wasn't just their biological family alone. It was the five homes they went through before they got to us. Many in the foster care system who were just wanting to cash a check and could give a rip about the kids. And they had been in the foster care system for over two years, shuffled around, and they sent us these girls. We began to do visits with them. As I got to know them more, I asked the oldest one, I just said, you know, so... What's this experience been like for you? And in her own tears, just said, you know, I just feel like I don't know where we fit. I just don't fit anywhere. And you could just see that despair and that depression and that trauma that had set in. And so after months of visitations, it finally came time, they were going to be placed in our home. Um, we took a picture of all of us together and I had it turned into a puzzle and the day they came over, I remember we, my wife and I set this puzzle down on the table and we had removed the pieces that had their faces in it. And just asked them the question, what is missing from this puzzle? And they were like, us. And I said, I want you to take those pieces and I want you to put them in there and I want you to see if they fit. And the Lord in that moment seared our hearts together now, I am going to be honest here, as emotional as I feel in this and as passionate as I feel in this, the last thing that I want to do is over-romanticize this, even in using the word rescue. It's not what's always going on. This has been a hard path for us. We're eight years in, from fostering to adoption. We love these sweet girls, but they have had a hard time. We've had a hard time. The blending of families, there's little things that you never even think of, such as our biological daughters have all these memories and these photo albums and all these, these girls came to us with almost nothing. 
couple of pictures. Um, Christmas time. I contemplated busting out the ornament box that we always decorate our tree with as a family and all the ornaments that our other girls had with all the years and the pictures. And so we decided, my wife and I, we were going to try to do what we can. We jumped on eBay, started looking for every Hallmark ornament from the year that they were born that aren't made anymore. If we could get a hold of them somehow, we did. And then took the couple pictures they had and put them into those ornaments and then put them in the box and didn't tell them. And so when it came time to open the ornaments, they, they felt like they were a part of the family. And I feel like the last almost decade has been just that of trying to do all that we can to include and create that equal access. It's hard, but the Lord has been so kind. It has been beautifully messy. And I don't want to get up here and sell you some easy thing if the Lord were to stir you because it's not. I don't believe everyone should adopt and everyone should foster. And those that do have got to be resilient on what's coming their way. Even in infant adoption, where you think I'll just get this little infant and I'll take them from birth and then they'll never know anything different. No, there's a time and a place when that infant's gonna grow up and go, wait a minute, so my parents didn't want me? And a rejection wound's gonna set in. There is no easy fostering. There is no easy adoption. But it is a beautiful picture of the father heart of God. And it does show us what God has done to redeem us. So what do we do? What do we do with this message? And I realize there's a lot of folks who are at a lot of different places right now um, on the spectrum. Many singles in this room that are going, does this even apply to me? Yeah, I think it does. I, I think there is a number of ways that we can all be involved somehow with this great need that's around us. Let me give you just a few of them as we close out here. Um, I think one is awareness. It's what we're doing here in this message. One is uh, educating ourselves of really seeking to intentionally peer through this door and to see what's going on around us and the needs that are around us. I think for us to not turn a blind eye, but to, to do the research that we need to do. And I think some of that helps with partner organizations. And so what we've done, not only this week, but next week, we have got the four primary local partnerships that we engage with here at Northway that help speak in some of these areas. Uh, tonight, right outside on the deck, when you're done with this service, we'll be out there. One of them is Buckner International. Partnered with Buckner a long time. They do a lot of great work in the Bachman Lake community, but their original history for the last hundred years has been in foster and adopt. And they are, provide an abundance of resources. And you can meet with them just to find out, man, what services do you offer? How can I be a part of that? How can I help? What information that I can know about? Next week, uh, not only Buckner is out there, also out there is Involved for Life. Involved for Life is a woman-to-woman pregnancy center that we partner with because we think some of this has got to be on the front end, ministering to vulnerable men and women who find themselves with unwanted pregnancies and the opportunity to help steer them towards other alternatives. And by the way, I just so I can say it, for anyone who's walked through an abortion, God's mercy and grace is so wonderfully available to you. Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to be a church that cares 
for the most vulnerable amongst us, even those who've been walked in their own pain and suffering and shame. And we want that to be this place at Northway. But we have an opportunity to get on the front lines for others who are considering it right now, especially in this post-row culture that we're in right now. We've always been passionate about this, but we gotta double down even more in the days ahead to step into these conversations. It's not the only option. One can carry this child and put it up for adoption and the church can step in and care. And so Involved for Life is out there as well. Next week, we're gonna have Casa de Lago, who also ministers to some of the vulnerable in our Bachman Lake community, as well as we're gonna have TJ um, Young Lives that does a single teen parent ministry. These teenagers at the high school across the street from us that'll be back here in January, those, many of those teens that have had pregnancies and are single parents now, it's a ministry to come alongside them and care for them. You're gonna find out ways to serve there. But we gotta educate ourselves. Proverbs 24 says this, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. So rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? We can no longer just simply say, well, I never knew. Man, we have to educate ourselves and enter in. We have to know what it is we're to care for and we need to care about what it is we then know. But in addition to that, there are other opportunities. There are fostering opportunities. You don't have to adopt. Adoption's not always the end goal, but you can foster. You, you could be a home for either short-term or long-term fostering where you can provide for a family as they either seek reunification or wait to get placed in a, an adoptive environment. Either way, you can be God's grace in that in-between season. Um, and there's great need for older kids and kids with disabilities. I, I, I tell you, I tell this every time I teach this, there is an unfortunate, ugly secret within the fostering community. And that is the most common preference in foster and adoption is a white infant girl with no special needs. And so it begs the question, what if you're not white? What if you're older? What if you're a boy? What if you have special needs? Then it just simply means the older you get, the longer you'll be most unlikely to be adopted. So who will step in in those situations and care? There's also certainly adoption. There's local adoption, private adoption, international adoption, foster to adopt. But there's even some in-betweens where we can help. And this, is, I think, is a great opportunity even for some singles in the room or families who just don't feel like they're set up to foster and adopt. You can get respite certified. Respite is the idea of think babysitting. When you're fostering a kid or you're adopting a kid, in that process, you can't let, in fostering, you can't let just anybody watch your children as long as they're in the foster system. You can't let them stay the night with other families. They have to be certified by the state. And so when you're in a situation like my wife and I were, we live in California, we're 1,500 miles away from any family. We had nobody. And so we went about a year and a half without a single date because we, we couldn't leave the kids. And so respite care is huge to get certified and then be able to step in and go, hey, you need a break? Let me come over, I've been certified. Let me watch the kids for a couple of nights while y'all go get some sanity and reconnect in your marriage or whatever it may be. There's opportunities to do that. There's even pre 
fostering environments such as a ministry called Safe Families before the kids even get into the custody of the courts, before they even get to the legal system of fostering. There's a, there's a ministry that helps take families who are on the edge about to be there to step in and get care and, and to get counseling and to get support and respite care for those families that are in need. There's CASA, there's court-appointed services that you can step into as an advocate and you can, you can help represent these kids uh, in the judicial system. You can be an advocate for them. There's so many opportunities without even fostering or adopting, but certainly there's also just general care. And I think in the church, this is what we need the most. When there are those families who are stepping into foster adopt that we can just come around them, care for them, provide financial, provide meals, provide material resources. We can volunteer in these organizations. We can care and support. And then I would say certainly last, but definitely not least, is we can pray. We can pray, one, that God would create a culture of compassion in our church, culture of fostering and adoption to step into those spaces. Pray that God would help this church make a dent in those numbers in Dallas County. Pray that for one another, for the families that are considering, that are engaged in fostering or or already have adopted, we can pray for the kids that are still waiting right now, that Jesus would meet them where they're at. Whatever it may be, let us just not be apathetic. Let us understand, gospel in, gospel out. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time tonight to be reminded of, first, our own need. Be reminded that we too were orphans. We too were separated and you came and rescued us with your grace. And you adopted us, made us sons and daughters and your family secured forever with new identity, new access, new inheritance. Oh God, we thank you. And I pray that maybe you would use this message to encourage us, to sober us up, to remind us of the great need that's out there. I know a message like this touches on a number of emotional levels. But Lord, the, the key and the hope here is not for a drive-by guilting, but simply a gospel awakening that we might we might be used as servants of yours, just as the early church was there in Ephesus. In a day of Serranuses that are trying to deem what child is worth keeping and what child isn't, that this would be an awakening of your church, O oh God, to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus and go into these spaces to care for these orphans and these families in a way that would bring you the most glory and them the most good. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus. So we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 11.15, and 4 p.m., and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.